Just given the nature and some of the content of this movie, we wanted to do a quick little message before the episode started. Uh, This movie was made at a time when mass school shootings weren't a regular occurrence. Columbine didn't take place until 10 years later. We had drills for fires, earthquakes, and tornadoes, but the fear of being shot at school never even crossed our minds. Our conversation about Heathers reflects this. The episode today touches on shootings and explosions that occur at this fictional high school. We first watched this dark comedy in a different time when none of these things seemed possible. Now we see it through different eyes and would never want to make light of gun violence or bombings. For any young people who may be listening, we as adults, as a country, and as a society have failed you and have not done a good enough job protecting you. We have immense compassion for what you've had to grow up with. Welcome to Cover Your Eyes. Today we are talking about others from 1988. Greetings and salutations, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) That was your JD impression. (laughs) Hi, Holly. (laughs) (laughs) It's very odd that we saw this movie so young because the whole movie is adult. And I feel like it was one of those movies that somehow it glamored parents somehow into thinking that like it was just a teen movie. And it had this huge influence on me because I already identified as an outsider since I was in like kindergarten. <laughs> 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 How does that even manifest in kindergarten? <laughs> um I just always looked around me and was like, something's wrong here. Like the adults are weird. (laughs) And they're like, I guess I sort of felt like adults were naive that I was seeing things that they were acting like weren't there. And that was happening in my family as well. And maybe that's why I was sensitive to it because it was such a strong influence in my family. And you see that happening with Veronica and her parents how they interact, they have the same rote interaction over and over again, Mm -hmm. where part of the joke is that Veronica calls her dad an idiot. Mm -hmm. And then he agrees with her. And then the mom says, is like, oh, you too. (laughs) You know, (laughs) oh, that's so adorable. And that's basically their interaction. What's under the surface of that? There's so much, there's so much in this movie And I've seen it so many times. It's almost like I don't know how to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, I I understand what you mean. I feel like I know it so well. Like, it's just a part of me because we watched it when we were so young. And I know I watched it at your house. So we were probably like 10 or 11. But even though I feel like I know it really well, there still was so much to it. Like, going back and watching it now that I had forgotten or that I didn't, you know, just didn't realize the levels that it went to and just like thinking about watching it as a 10 year old is kind of like, wow, that's a lot to take in. Even as an adult, I feel like it's a lot to digest. So as a 10 year old, like what was going on in our minds? Like, how did we view this? I wish I could go back and like really remember what I felt when I was watching it. I just remember thinking that Christian Slater is so cute. (laughs) (laughs) That's the main thing. I just remember Christian Slater, Croquet, 
uh, drain cleaner, pine nuts. I mean, corn nuts, not pine nuts. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, those are like my main memories of it. And I knew that it was like bad and dark, but I didn't really remember how many murders there were. I really just remembered the main Heather, like the drain cleaner thing. There are so many murders. Yeah. I guess they would technically be, well, also, I'm pretty sure that JD, the high school boy who rides into town in his black trench coat and his combat boots and his giant gun that's loaded with blanks, and he rolls on into town, he's been to seven schools and seven states. Because his dad is a big boy who likes to blow things up for a living. So he comes into town and he's observing the Heathers and Veronica in the lunchroom. And you get the sense that he's like just looking down upon everyone, looking at them like they're they're like on a TV screen. There's clearly chemistry between him and Veronica. The fact that JD is seemingly wise beyond his years and is also incredibly charismatic and sexually appealing to Veronica. She is completely clouded by the sex chemistry that they have and couples killing, whether, whether it's like a sexual relationship or not, people who kill together are very, it is like a very odd thing. I agree. (laughs) It's something I don't really, uh, I can't quite wrap my head around, but when I was watching Heather's this time, I was thinking about how she's so blinded by the sexual aspect of their relationship. I've been in a couple of relationships where the sexual aspect of it was so overwhelming that I almost felt like I wasn't in control of my decision-making faculties. So while I think I would never go that far, As she did. <laughs> but also she's a follower. She was a follower. So like her habit is to be a follower. And with JD, JD teaches her the lesson. Being the follower gets you nowhere in life. That's true. So she was one of the Heathers. So she was like a rebel for the Heathers. But she was still just a follower of them because even though she acted reluctant to do all of the mean things that they wanted her to do, she still did them. So it's like you don't get points for doing it reluctantly. Actually, that makes it worse because you know what's wrong and you don't want to do it and you still do it. Like writing that fake note to Martha Dump Truck, making it look like the football player wanted to go out with her. That was so terrible. And because Veronica's good at forging handwriting, apparently, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason she can forge anyone's handwriting. So they want her to do the letter for Martha dump truck to make it look like the football player wants to date her. Yeah. And then you see Martha like walk over to him, like, Hey, I got this letter. Like she really believes it. 
And then they all just start laughing at her and Veronica's watching and she looks like pained, like, oh, this is so terrible. And it's like, well, then why did you do it, Veronica? Come on. So she goes from following the Heathers, the popular click girls, to then following like the antithesis of them, JD. And it's like, who are you actually? You're just following. You don't, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's just going from one extreme to the other. That's a good point. Well, she has, she has, um, both of her parents are very weak parental figures. She's actually in some weird way dominating in that relationship with them because they really let her do whatever she wants because she's so smart. So they defer to her because she even tells JD that she could have skipped like junior high or something because Mm -hmm. she was so smart, but, but she didn't. And I think her parents were like, oh, she's she's so smart that she doesn't need guidance from us. So she sought guidance elsewhere in the mother that eats its own, Medea Nightmare of Heather One, to the hyper macho, toxic... <laughs> Toxic masculinity of JD, who likes to blow shit up. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So there's they're showing like different versions of the toxic masculinity, which wasn't even a term back then. But so there's the jocks who are basically just like derogatory to women all the time and like date rapey, as I said, like a side hobby is their date rape. And then there's JD, who's also, who's supposed to be like, hates them and is against that. But then he's also hyper-masculine in the like violent blowing things up and also controlling, trying to control Veronica. Like ultimately he does the same thing. And he also continually like tries to force physical contact on her like later he grabs her and like forces kisses all over her many times and I was just like oh well Veronica it she almost gets raped three different times in this movie oh my god and her friend Heather one or Heather two Heather the cheerleader basically is getting raped it looks like in later on when they're on the double date in the cow field yeah and it's just like going on in the background day rate. So it's hard to feel like it is hard to feel for the football players or Heather one. Like these people are the worst of the worst. And Heather one is like the, the stunt that they pulled on Martha. Oh, dump truck. Martha Dunstock. <laughs> She's a fat I'm girl. Sorry. No, it's fine. That's what, no, I mean, that's what they call her in the movie. And it's like, you know, you can, I mean, even today you practically have permission to make fun of fat people. Like it's still like, there's still a lot of people that do it. And usually the jokes aren't very good either. Like, it's not just the fact that you're making fun of people. Yeah. You know what else to say about it? Besides it's stupid. You're making fun of someone for like a physical attribute that they most of the time can't (laughs) even help. And I feel like that's one of the last forms of bullying that still exists. That's somehow like still makes it into media and is almost acceptable. So hopefully that will be gone soon. I think uh, people are starting to step, step out and be like, Hey, wait a second. You know what? 
this is like really fucking cruel. It is. I think it's definitely getting better. Um, definitely in the media, you're seeing like more different body types and a lot more social acceptance of all different body types. Like it should be. Girl, little girls are taught to be pleasing, pleasing to the eye and pleasing to the ear. And you need to be nice. So whenever you have a lot of hostility and aggression and anger inside of you and you're a girl, you're going to act out aggressively differently so that you can maintain the appearance of femininity, Mm -hmm. which is how we get this extremely passive aggressive mean girl who sets up people. She's not, Heather one is not going to claim the prank that they pulled on Martha. Everybody kind of knows that she's behind it, but she's going to keep up the appearance and like in her voice, you know, so it's, it's very soft in a way, but then it's also like got this like bite behind it. I don't think that that's any different in, in a way from JD. Right. Being the boy who lights things on fire, blows things up and shoots stuff. Right. So they're both like terrorists in their own way, really. Hers is oh. just less physical. Oh my gosh, that's a great word for what Heather One is too. Because she she's a terrorist to the school. Like everyone, like even the jocks are kind of scared of her. Yeah. And she doesn't date high school boys either. So, and th- you know, that's another thing that's interesting that I liked how they showed in this movie that even though Heather One is alpha, to the girls and she rules the school. She's completely deferential to and submissive to this college boy. Ooh, yeah. And it made me think about how <laughs> whenever people are surprised that white women voted for Trump, I'm like, well, this is internalized misogyny on display right here when they're at the frat party. And she has to give a blowjob, which she doesn't say no to, but it's obvious that she doesn't want to do it. Right. But she does it because she needs to be accepted by this guy who has the most social capital in her environment. So Mm -hmm. she does it. And then she gets mad at Veronica because Veronica won't agree to be date raped. If I have to do it, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. And I, to me, that's like, internalized misogyny and you hear that a lot with I've heard this a lot with women who of of earlier generations in my family saying things like well she had a short skirt on oh god or the whole thing of um well why was she in his room that late at night but then also there's another thing I've heard which is well I had to put up with that shit yeah So what are you bitching about? (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like that's Heather One's attitude towards Veronica. (laughs) So I I feel like this uh, movie is a good example of the French Revolution. Okay, tell me more. Well, okay, so you have Heather One, and she's the queen of the school. Now, I'm not talking the real Marie Antoinette. I'm talking like comparatively i'm talking like the the stereotype of marie antoinette heather one can't um handle any 
disagreement or conflict because her uh, self image is so fragile and dependent upon the appearance of perfection. And it's like driven her mad with power because she has this need to control her environment and to create like a perfect world. And for her a perfect world is making sure that everyone does her bidding at all times. So yeah. then a revolution happens and the revolution is JD and Veronica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone thinks, well, everyone being Veronica thinks <laughs> this is a new person to follow. This is like the new head of state and he's got better ideas and he's more open-minded and more what I'm looking for. And I feel more free until she quickly realizes that he's bloodthirsty (laughs) and wants to assassinate everyone that's in the court. And then Mm -hmm. that quickly bleeds into attempting to assassinate Veronica because she doesn't agree with him. So it just made me think of the French revolution. Yeah. That's a good analogy. (laughs) I agree. Uh, <laughs> it's just like going from one leader to the next, then realizing that the person she's following is actually terrifying. And he quickly turns on her as soon as she doesn't go along with what he wants. I have to admit, though, like, m- before I got into all of the murdering and everything like that, like, I'm sure that Christian Slater, JD, would be the person that I would <laughs> want to date in high school, too. <laughs> I mean... Like Once it got to the murder part, I would back out. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, I can't ever imagine murdering someone would not be anything that I could get into. That's good. Because I can't <laughs> even look at raw meat. So I think that's a good way to tell. Yeah. <laughs> if you're comfortable with looking at raw meat, you could have murderous tendencies. Whenever the Heathers and Veronica are in. They're going to do the lunchtime poll for the newspaper. The question is, you just found out you won a bunch of money, but also the aliens are going to blow up the world in two days. Like, what do you do? So, Sarah. Oh, God. (laughs) What would you do? (laughs) Um, that's a great question. Okay. Um, I mean, there's really no point in doing anything with the money because what are you going to do with it in two days? I would just give it away to as many people as I could so they could try to do something with it. That's fun in like their last days of their life. And then I would do something that I've been like afraid of doing, but that I wanted to do. Like maybe I would go skydiving or like, climb um El Capitan at Yosemite or something Mm. like that where it's like I want to do it but I'm afraid I'll die so that Mm -hmm. would be a good time to do it because you know you're gonna die anyway oh yeah (laughs) what about you now now you have to answer damn it um I was gonna like quickly move on to the next thing (laughs) (laughs) um okay so basically the money part is irrelevant Mm -hmm. so I would just throw like the hugest party with the best food 
and the best weed. Yeah. And the best dancing. Basically having like an amazing new version of Woodstock. Gourmet Woodstock. So that brings me to um, Heather number whatever. Mm -hmm. Heather number two, the green one, the redhead. So she's bulimic. Veronica helps her vomit every time, apparently. So after they eat lunch in the cafeteria, they go into the bathroom. And then Heather, too, is like, Veronica, could you help me? And then they're all like, oh, God, she's going to help her puke. And then Heather number one is like, bulimia, that's so 1987. (laughs) (laughs) It's so terrible. I know. I don't know. And then after the other Heather number one dies, then you see Heather number two, like eating fried chicken in the locker room. Which is like, yes, fried chicken is what I would eat too. No, I wouldn't eat it in a locker room. That seems gross, but whatever. <laughs> I know. And they're and she's like, just, she's just throwing the bones. I know. She's like, fuck it. I'm eating fried chicken because Heather number one's dead. So now I don't have to be bulimic anymore. So it's like she's been liberated from her eating disorder by the death of Heather, which is like a good thing. But uh, if only it were that easy to regulate or like heal eating disorders. It's not that easy. I feel like it showed how horrible Heather One is. Part of it, probably a big part of how she got bulimia was Heather One was probably criticizing her. If you want to fly with the Eagles, (laughs) you need to drop some of the weight off of your thighs, girl. But then also she's going to make fun of her for having bulimia. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You just cannot win with Heather One. That's what we've learned. She's either going to make fun of you for being overweight or make fun of you for your eating disorder. And also then it, then like the fact that Veronica is just willingly going to stick her finger down somebody else's throat like that. Basically you can just tell Veronica what to do and she'll do it. That's the thing with her. She's very, it's like a dichotomy of Veronica or something. It's like, she seems like the rebel and, the resistant one, but then she does just do whatever they tell her. And that's like a prime example. And then it just moves into doing what JD tells her. Right. You see with her journaling that she has all this pent up aggression because she does just go along. Like, you know, whenever she's stressed out, she like burns herself with matches or the cigarette lighter in the car. So that's how her aggression is is showing itself at the beginning. And then as we proceed, that aggression, when she meets JD, becomes externalized onto the people in her life that she really hates. Mm-hmm. That before, you know, whenever she was mad at them, she took it out on herself. But now what JD has liberated her from that, And shown her, hey, you don't have to be the nice girl. So she plays along. Yeah. It's like she's all too willing to go along with it. And she kind of pretends like she's innocent. But is she really? Well, first, before, like you said, she takes her aggression out in her diary. And I just have to ask, like, why does she wear a monocle when she writes in her diary? Like, where does that come from? Did you notice that? Yes, absolutely. I've always wondered where the monocle comes from. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when JD comes along, it's kind of like she's just all too willing to go along with them and like use him as an excuse of why she's doing these things. Mm-hmm. It's like he's embodying all of her anger and rage and revenge fantasies. It's like her shadow come to life. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, in Fight Club. Yeah. 
JD is kind of like Brad Pitt's character in Fight Club. Totally. Only he's real <laughs> at the end of the movie. Wait, that guy's not real? Yeah, so JD is like her id come to life, like her evil parts. <laughs> like her id just rolled into town on a motorcycle and went nuts on the high school and did everything she had fantasized about doing. So the first thing that we see him do, which now <sighs> is like, I mean, in today's society, it's way different than then. Like at that time, we hadn't had really any mass shootings like Columbine hadn't happened or anything like that. Mm. And so I think we could all just like look at this more distanced and like more lighthearted and more like, oh, this is crazy. Like that would never happen. It had a magical realism quality to it. I feel like a lot of the especially so the murder scenes, especially, and then also how everyone had a color. And then everything that was around them, that was part of their immediate environment, was also of that color. Like, even down to Heather 3, whose color was yellow, she had, when she was going to, like, kill herself in the bathroom, she was taking bright yellow pills. Oh, yeah. That matched her outfit. So that lends a feeling of magical fantasy quality. And then the, the scenes of murder... I have a, there's a haze in the atmosphere that feels very dreamy. It feels like, is this, is any of this even really happening? Which is actually also very similar to Fight Club. When I was younger, I feel like I didn't understand the full ramification of what the movie, what was happening in the movie. Like, I almost still felt like it was a prank, the way that Veronica does, you know, Mm -hmm. until you see when Veronica's laughing at Kurt and Ram's funeral, and you see, like, Kurt or Ram, I'm not sure which, his little sister, turn around, and she's got tears streaming down her face, and she gives them this look that's just, like, so heartbreaking. And then his dad is... One of the dads is like, you know, saying like, I would have loved you no matter what. And that, and then so like in that moment, I feel like that's when everything gets very real. Because leading up to that, it felt unreal. She was just going along with JD and she still felt like distance from everything she had done. And she could still kind of not take full responsibility because he had quote unquote, like tricked her into doing it of these three murders so far. But yeah. And then when she looks at that little girl at the funeral, then it like hits home to her. You can see that she's like, wait, this isn't a joke. Like these are real lives and these people are dead and it's because of me. Yeah. So at the funeral, they're very, they're in their caskets next to each other and they're wearing like their football stuff in their caskets. And so the dad is saying, like, uh, yeah, even though you're gay, I sort of loved you. I love my dead gay son. And one of the things that JD and Veronica had done was to, like, set them up to make it look like Kurt and Ram had killed each other because they were yes. gay and they didn't feel comfortable coming out to the world. And so they did, like, a murder-suicide. Okay, so there's the grab bag of gay paraphernalia mm-hmm. that JD brings along. Gay being in quotation marks. But I think it's funny because it's a grab bag of stereotypes. 
the movie really plays that, hey, this is like making fun of these stereotypes. Whenever the cops discover <laughs> Ram and Kurt's bodies, they look in the bag and the cop pulls out the mineral water and he's like, of course they're gay. They're not like really stereotyping. They're making fun of the people who do stereotype. That's so unusual in 1987. Because Kurt and Ram were so like overly homophobic and always calling people the F word and things like that, then, I mean, I guess it's like the ultimate revenge on them to make people think that they were gay. Because even though it's not a bad thing, it would be a bad thing for them because they were so homophobic. In a small town in the 80s, that's like a lot to overcome. After the first Heather dies, Heather number three, I guess, the tall blonde cheerleader one, the yellow one, (laughs) is going to go on a date with Ram, who's like the grossest, most meathead, disgusting jock of them all. And But he only wants to go on the date if he can double date with Kurt and someone else. Kurt and Ram are so obsessed with each other, and they are so homophobic. So maybe they are actually gay, and they just couldn't come out with it. Well, what I thought was interesting is after Veronica has to, like, run away from him because whichever the other one is, I guess, Kurt, Mm -hmm. um, after he basically tries to rape her, um, and she runs away from him, and then the next day, everybody is like, Kurt's so awesome, and Veronica is such a slut. And Veronica finds out that Kurt and Ram had started a rumor that they had a sword fight in her mouth. Which is also like, that means that they're talking about having their penises like touch in her mouth. Because there's no other way for that to happen. So clearly they're okay with like dick touching. They do seem very friendly. (laughs) (laughs) it's true something to think about and then so she uses that to set them up so that they she can lure them out into the woods to be murdered yeah so because she while heather yellow heather was basically getting like date raped in the cow field behind her then veronica wouldn't sleep with the other guy so then for revenge of not sleeping with them they started a rumor about her and made her sound like quote-unquote slut and so of course it's like Oh, um, so everyone's going to talk bad about her because she did the sexual thing with these guys, but the guys are heroes for accomplishing it. And it's just like such a double standard, which is true. You know, I just remember like in junior high hearing about like some girl who got like finger banged. <laughs> you know what oh I mean? Oh my God, I remember that. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Yes. And it's like, and I remember who the guy was. And this girl was, like, really cute and sweet and pretty. And the guy was gross. I don't remember who the guy was. uh, He was gross. We just hear about it. And it's, like, floats through the school. And it's, like, why do we even hear about this? Who started this? And I just remember everyone, like, looking down on her and just being, like, staring at her in the cafeteria and being, like, oh, my God, she got finger banged. And it's, like. I thought that was cool. I mean. I'm sure I did too, but it's just like, I feel like at the time, it's just like, whoa, that's huge. And that's like a sexual step that I had not taken. And then you're just like, oh my God, you're already doing that. And 
it's just like the thing is to look at the girl negatively in that situation. And it's like, why they're both involved in it. But it's just like, that's the trend, like the societal trend, the school trend. I don't know. Hopefully it's better now. But it seems like people our age and younger probably have less of that Mm -hmm. attitude. And as more as women gain more financial independence, they have more freedom to to express themselves sexually. And I think that women who are able to express themselves sexually are not going to criticize other women. It seems to me that women who like to call other women like insulting names like slut or whatever, or like they think slut's an insult, are probably pretty sexually frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's been my observation of the people around me who had that attitude. I think it's probably better now. Like it may have like swung the other way. Um, like being very sexually liberated and having it be cool at a young Mm -hmm. age people are realizing that just because a woman is sexually active it's not like a judgment on her character you know and it takes two to tango basically it's like why are the women always being judged and not the men but anyway so that was a huge tangent sorry but that's what was happening to veronica she was being like slut shamed for something that she didn't even do. And so that spawned her to want to get revenge on the jocks. And of course, JD was like more than willing to help. <laughs> right. Any opportunity. Um, <laughs> it's interesting how women are supposed to be completely available to men sexually and desirable to men sexually. But then if they're willing, to be sexual, then they're bad. Men, you can only expect to be getting what they want sexually because they're animals Mm -hmm. who are easily tempted and it's the woman's responsibility to not cause temptation. Right. And if you do cause temptation, then you better be ready to do something about it. Like the guy at the college party with the first Heather when he was just like, trying to make out with her and she's like let's go back to the party and he was like I just can't control myself you look so hot and then that's when she like reluctantly gave him a blowjob because she's like well if I look this hot and I gave him this boner then it's my responsibility to help him get rid of it and that's how that's like how people are kind of taught to think like maybe subliminally or subconsciously but that is like the message that women get and young girls get It makes it easy to be preoccupied with how to navigate how you present yourself in the the world physically. And that is great because the more energy you can spend on figuring out how beautiful you need to be, (laughs) then the less energy you have to like do something really neat. It's like a real expression of yourself that could help inspire somebody else in the world. And Mm -hmm. you can see Heather One is is so completely consumed with perfection and appearing to be perfect in all ways to all people that that she considers her superior. But 
the people she considers inferior. It's open season. I think that's just so much how women have been taught to operate, to stay alive in a, in a society that makes all of your worth about how pleasurable you can be to a man. Speaking of Heather one, I've always felt that it was very strange that she um, orders corn nuts. <laughs> and then I realized watching it this time, I was like, oh, I bet she's somebody that eats one time a day. And I had that thought because I actually knew somebody who had that as an eating habit. He would be like, she'd eat like five White Castle cheeseburgers. Mm. But then that's it. That's all she would eat that day. Then the next day she'd have like a bag of Doritos. I like her style at least. (laughs) So so I thought maybe that's how Heather One eats. (laughs) Maybe. I was wondering that too. I just remember that like corn nuts are such a big part of this movie. Like every time I see corn nuts, I think of Heather's, the BQ ones, she says. And then when she's choking and dying, she says corn nuts. Like those are her dying words. Why does she say corn nuts then? I wonder if she didn't realize what she was in shock of what was really happening. Mm -hmm. So she thought maybe she was just throwing up corn nuts. Okay. And that it hurt. Because, like, <laughs> corn nuts are really scratchy, and I don't actually think they you can digest them. <laughs> no, everyone knows that corn and nuts are two things that are not easily digestible. So if you combine corn nuts, no one's digesting mm-hmm. that stuff. What, what I love about the fact that she has the barbecue flavor corn nuts is that they're red. Oh, my God. That's why. Wow, they really take that color thing, like, <laughs> to the limit. You're right. Maybe that's why she chose red as her color because she loved BQ corn nuts so much. <laughs> now we funny. know Heather One is actually a ruthless menace to society because she's malnourished because all she eats is corn nuts. <laughs> she's constantly hangry, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you never see them eat. You see, like, during lunch, they're just wandering around, like, harassing people. They're never actually sitting down eating. Eating is for losers. Yeah. The attitude in this movie of of beauty perfectly encapsulates, to me, the messages I got as a kid. And I think that's part of the reason that I resonated with this movie so much and why I had a VHS and I watched it. Probably every two weeks oh my <laughs> when I was in junior high, I was like obsessed with it is because I, it, it was comforting to me because it was, a, it was criticizing this whole world that I felt like if I got caught up in, it would destroy me. And I was mm-hmm. in it and I saw this movie just at a time when I was really understanding that like not only were things not going to be like the world of Sweet Valley High, but also that the world of Sweet Valley High is total bullshit and that it's <laughs> completely toxic and that it was going to kill me mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's what it's designed to do. <laughs> it's designed to kill your spirit. 
And I was realizing all of this right at the same time that I saw this movie. And so watching it was just like, oh my God, there, there's another way because there's people out there that understand how dumb and horrible this whole popularity system is and the whole idea that like you have to present yourself as being perfect and available and all of the stuff we've been talking about with how you're supposed to defer to men sexually when they have social capital. And if, if a man has power, you should just automatically spread your legs. And it's so invasive that, um, that even JD expects it. And he's, and he's considered the antithesis of everything that the jocks are, except that he's still a date rapist. I mean, yeah, it's true because like when he, uh, after they murder the two jocks, then he was like, football season's over. All they had to offer us, all they had to offer the school was uh, date rapes and AIDS jokes. And it's like, yeah, that's a good point. That doesn't really mean that they should die, but they really didn't have anything to offer. But the date rape part is true too. And yeah, like multiple times after Lydia has expressed uh, Lydia, I called her Lydia because <laughs> I keep thinking of her in Beetlejuice because she reminds me so much of that in this movie. And the preacher in this movie is from Beetlejuice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking of Beetlejuice. So Veronica <laughs> um, has expressed that she does not want anything to do with JD anymore. And like multiple times he just grabs her and like starts forcing these big giant French kisses on her. And she has to like fight her way away from him. And it's like, yeah, you're actually no better than them. And you're worse because you're a murderer. So, so basically, guys are assholes. That's one of the messages that I'm getting from the movie. <laughs> are there any decent guys in the movie? Her dad, uh, Veronica's dad. Okay, I love her dad. He's the best. And he actually has one of my favorite quotes of the movie. It's Dan's favorite quote, too. Wait, which one is it? What does he say? So, when Veronica comes in, after everyone's been, after the suicide trend has started at the school the supposed suicide trend then it's like all like she said these all you adults are just eating this up with a spoon and we're tired of being treated like non-humans and being patronized like bunny rabbits and their dad's like i don't patronize bunny rabbits (laughs) that's my favorite part that's my favorite quote also when the editor of the school newspaper says Westerberg finally got one of these things <laughs> talking about how he was, he sure as hell wasn't going to move the suicide off of the front page. He's like, exactly. suicide's hot right now. I know it's terrible. I feel like a lot of what they're pointing out is kind of true. It may be true that it's like, it's very sad, obviously when someone commits suicide, but then in the school or something, they're all latching onto it almost like it's like a positive thing. Like it's an opportunity they've all been waiting for. Like the guidance counselors, like now we need to have a big discussion and a big love in. And, well, and it's a popular topic because that song that's out by the group, big fun is teenage suicide. Don't do it. And so it's like a trend that's going on. The media angle in this movie is also very unique for its time because it it does a really great job of showing how the news manipulates 
the situation and the scenario and how the things that you're being told are not actually what's going on. And so whenever the teacher decides to have the big love in, which they call the new happiness, I was like, oh my God, this whole thing. I mean, aside from the media part (laughs) of like, look at how she's calling in the media and that she doesn't really actually care about these kids. She's just trying to get publicity and make herself feel better. This is such a great example of the way people do spiritual bypassing where I can sum it up really easy. It's the attitude of good vibes only, which is like, you don't have a t-shirt that says that. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) No, you can't have good vibes only. That's completely absurd. (laughs) Like the, the world doesn't like nothing operates that way. But it's like, it's just being scared of looking at the stuff about yourself that you, it's that you don't want to see. It's an intolerance of pain, painful emotions. And so you can latch on to spiritual practices that are great. Maybe they're great spiritual practices, but they're only so great if you also look at the other things that are happening inside of you that are things that you're ashamed of or you don't want to accept because they're painful or because the culture has shamed you into thinking that they're bad and that you need to deny it, you know, whatever it is. And so I just felt like that teacher is a really great example of that to the extent that like, she doesn't even talk about the suicide. She just comes in and is like the new happiness. And then she doesn't even ask any of the kids anything. She's like, be happy in front of a camera. And I thought, how interesting, like, (laughs) reminded me of social media. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I feel like this movie is like a huge predictor of what has happened (laughs) in our general (laughs) overculture. It's like ahead of its time. It kind of reminds me, too, of like the huge true crime trend that's happening right now, because it's like someone has died and people are mourning it. But really, they're not mourning it that much. And they're kind of like making an event out of it, like that teacher is and bringing in the media to have her little event and making a big yearbook spread about it and including the suicide note just for like almost like not gore, but almost like shock factor. And I don't know the word I'm looking for. It's kind of like murder porn kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, it's turning it's turning a real human being into a character as though you were watching a movie yeah and like and the teacher brings in the suicide note for everybody to read and passes it around which she's like so we can all experience the pathetic beauty or something like that and it's like that is just so i don't know i just want to say tacky i don't know the right word and then you see how everyone is like ready to kind of get in the spotlight to talk about her and people who didn't even like her And they're just kind of like latching on to this event, the fame or the spotlight that's coming with it. And the boy who is so worried about like helping to feed the hungry people, suddenly he's like, oh, I dated her, you know, probably a long time ago. And so he wants to talk about his connection to her. And then he says, 
Oh, she broke up with me because she said I was boring. But now I know it was just because she was unhappy with her own life. And I'm not actually boring. And it's like, everyone just makes it about themselves. Like he made it about himself. And then when they come up to her casket and they each are doing like their little inner monologue and you hear what they're saying and everyone's really just like, how is this affecting me? And they're making it about themselves. It's almost like they don't, they don't show them really like actually mourning her at all. Everyone just seems like ready to move on. And it's almost like the adults are wanting more reaction from the kids than the kids are really willing to give. It's like, but everybody's like, no, you need to feel this. And that teacher's like, no, you need to process it and have this event. And and that's the thing, like the teacher, she's saying, you need to process your emotions. But then whenever you come into the space where I'm telling you, you can process your emotions. <laughs> now I'm telling you that you have to be happy. Right. For a camera. And like that to me is very much like a great example of spiritual bypassing. And also the um, the guy who is always doing the charity work that you were just talking about. I didn't get his name. He's such a great example of just like one of those people that are really, really narcissistic, but they're also just like relatively harmless and... <laughs> You know, they, they kind of catch you off guard when you realize like, oh, my God, everything you do is just for yourself. And like, you don't even actually see other people in the world. <laughs> this is kind of weird because we have this idea that like you're going to like spot somebody that's a narcissist or like a psychopath and that they're going to look a certain way. You know, they're going to look like JD when really they look like Heather or this other guy, this like nerdy, you know, he probably is on like the UN <laughs> student UN or whatever, you know, you know, he'll probably get into politics. So there's a lot of narcissism in this movie and there's a lot of stupidity. It's like the adults don't, do not see anything that's actually going on with the teenagers. I think that's part of the reason that the adults were like, why aren't the kids more like upset or whatever? I don't think the adults understood that they thought Heather one was the perfect popular girl. Who's like the model of all teenage American girls everywhere because she defers to authority figures. So they don't even understand that she was like the holy terror of the school. That reminds mm -hmm. me that when the teachers are having a meeting and the Heather one dies, uh -huh. the principal was like, is that the Heather that's the cheerleader? Because I'm willing to go half a day on a cheerleader, meaning <laughs> yeah. I'll give the school half a day off, right? For yeah. a cheerleader. But Heather won. She's not a cheerleader. So you only get an hour off. Then when Kurt and Ram die, they get two days off. So they get one for each day. So apparently a football player is worth a whole day. And I thought, this is like so great. Like, <laughs> it's like very clear line <laughs> of like social capital, <laughs> the, what the adults are valuing. And it, it very much resonated with me because in our school, I felt like the adults were valuing all of the wrong things, just like the adults in this movie are. <laughs> so, I think that's just part of the reason that I resonated so much with this movie. And it also taught me, 
it's a bad idea to date people that go to the same high school as you. <laughs> Most of my school, I dated guys that weren't in, that didn't go to our high school. So how did you meet them? I happened to have some friends that knew people and, and then also knew people in the area. So you branched out. It was easy. I didn't totally follow that rule, but it was something that was in my mind of like, you have to be careful because guys will spread weird rumors about you if you go on dates with them because they're probably going to rape you. Like this is like the message that we're getting anyway. It's just thinking about how all of these movies that we see, it's just like, all of this really shitty behavior by men and that like this message over and over again, that like men can't control themselves yeah, and that like it's women's responsibility to basically continuously babysit and coddle and mother every single man that she encounters. Like that's really like the eighties were like that message. <laughs> and I feel, and I feel like that makes sense though, because that was like right at the time when women were go- many more women were going, Hey, I want to have like a career and I don't want to have to be married or rely on a man as like the thing that's the top priority in my life. So it makes sense that there would be a backlash of, I need a mommy. And that that would be the message that's like trying to, that we're trying to get back to this like old fashioned, you know, nuclear family atmosphere you need to be prepared for this because it's just going to be a part of life that you are going to have like unwanted sexual advances and you're going to be pressured into doing sexual things mm-hmm. that you don't want to do. So obviously men have been raping women before television. <laughs> right? Unfortunately, yes. So the images we get and the thing that I'm, I guess, trying to process is that in the media, these rapey behaviors are justified yeah. and they're demonstrated by characters that are still supposed to be considered like the good guy. And with this movie, you get to see the reality of date rape in a way that I don't really recall seeing in a movie before especially by the age of like 10 hopefully you hadn't seen that many date (laughs) rapes but we probably did one of the big things that stuck out for me as a lesson was like don't go along with people Mm -hmm. just because you're supposed to or just because that's like socially sanctioned I remember being really surprised whenever other one told Veronica fuck me gently with a chainsaw (laughs) what do you think I am mother Teresa so I I always remembered that because it was so brutal Heather she presents in this very feminine way and so whenever you see how she operates with other women that she's you know quote-unquote the queen bee and all other women are beneath her Um, and then I was shocked again which is this is the other scene is whenever she is pressured into performing oral sex on the college guy that she's at the party with because the look on her face 
is like she's so vulnerable and disgusted and it's like she's told herself like this is what I have to do to be perfect to be perfect I have to be dating a college guy who is probably like the top of his school in some way you know maybe he's the richest or whatever it's it's image at all cost and it's turned her into somebody that's constantly being aggressive so and and I hated her, you know, like like everything about her is just vile. Like all of her actions are specifically to hurt people and she actually enjoys it, you know. And so like it's easy to just be like, oh, I hate her. But then whenever you see her being vulnerable and being forced into the sexual position, her whole life is just making sure that she maintains the facade of perfection for whatever reason, she's been trained to defer to like men, right? That's pretty clear by how sub- submissive she is to men that are have like social capital. You see her enforcing on other people who are weaker, quote unquote, than her, the way that somebody's enforcing that on to her. So she's just repeating this pattern. Okay, so we know that J.D. knew he was giving her, Heather, the drain cleaner. They're filling up their cups right by each other. So, like, the whole thing starts with, like, Veronica wants to get revenge on Heather 1 because at the frat party or the college party, Veronica puked because she um, had beer and she was, like, almost sexually assaulted by this dude and she just wanted to get out of there and then she puked in the hallway and then Heather was, like, so embarrassed because... I brought you to this Remington party and this is your one chance to make it. Otherwise you're going to be stuck partying with kids and kegs all year or whatever. Cause you have to be with college guys or it doesn't count. And so Heather's all mad at Veronica for blowing this and she makes fun of her for puking and they get in a huge fight. So JD finds out about it. And Veronica is like, I wish I could just see Heather puke her guts out. And so he's like, Oh, well I can help you do that. So they sneak into Heather's house and then make up this concoction that's supposedly going to, like, make Heather puke. That's the goal that Veronica has. Milk and orange juice. Yeah. So all she can come up with is milk and orange juice. I remember this part watching as a kid and Mm -hmm. being like, this is so dumb. Like, who's going to drink that? And then she said, like, Coke and soup. How about that? And just like. This is so dumb. All of that is just I know. Dumb, I thought that was really dumb, dumb and too. unrealistic. It's like, okay, Veronica, whatever. And then so the whole time JD's like, how about this? And he's got like all these drain cleaners and stuff. And she's like, come on, don't be silly. And he's like, what are you, chicken? And then she's like, that's not funny. And it's like, she sees him pouring it in a cup. And he with picks the, lid the cup on. with a lid on it. And then she comes over. And picks a cup that looks exactly like it with a lid on it so that they won't so that she won't be able to see what she's drinking. And so then they set the cups down and then they start kissing. And then Veronica supposedly accidentally picks up the drain cleaner cup instead of the orange juice and milk cup. JD sees her walking towards the bedroom with it and he's like, Veronica, and he tries to stop her, but then he's like, no way. And he's like, never mind, because he wants. Heather to be killed Mm -hmm. then he's carrying the drain cleaner cup and he hands it to Heather so Veronica knew because she was carrying the milk and orange juice cup so she's trying to like pretend that she's innocent and didn't know what was going to happen but she totally knew 
she's totally just letting him do it. And then she can be like, oh, my God, I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. But I don't – I don't. I think that's unconscious, though. I mean, we've all been places where we let ourselves get tricked. And the whole time, if you're really honest with yourself in the back of your head, you knew you were being tricked. And you went along with it because you, the thing you were being tricked into was something you kind of wanted to do yourself. Like, I feel like that happens – to people all the time when they get into sexual relationships that are very charged. I don't really think people um, admit what happens when you are with somebody that like you have really intense sexual chemistry with and the lengths that people will go to and the ways that they will compromise themselves to make sure that they get another fix of that person's body. <laughs> and that's like raw and animalistic, but they did a good job showing that. And I feel like her doing that had more to do with her tricking herself into saying, oh, gee, I want to please my man. Women are, are put in disastrous situations with men over and over again in this movie. And they're put in those situations because they have been told that they don't have a choice. That the only way that you're going to be a good girl is if you go along with the men in your life. You have to defer to the men. And she is. So you feel like ultimately she was going, she was supposedly not knowing that she was going to kill these people, but deep down she knew. And you feel like it was more motivated by her desire to like, please JD and be able to stay with him than her desire to actually like get revenge by killing them or like. A mix. Well, I, th I think that she would have never actually killed anybody on her mm -hmm. own. No. And I, I also don't think that she would have agreed to go along with JD if they weren't sexually attracted to each other. I think the sexual part is is what pushed her over the edge. But obviously, she already admitted that she wanted Heather one to die. And it was like yeah. this thing of like, it's for the good of the school. And also, like when Heather one dies, like everybody's kind of relieved because everybody was terrified of her. And so you really don't even get to see anyone in mourning until Kurt and Ram. Right. And then that's when we get to see people in mourning. And that's when we realize we wake up with out of the fever dream with Veronica and realize, oh, wait, all of this is real. For her, it was easy to like suspend belief. People objectify their victims. Also, you know, the other thing, too, is like when you're a teenager, like your brain's not developed fully. And there really is a thing where like you don't make decisions <laughs> that are based in the things that would be safer. A cause and effect isn't full as fully established of if I do this thing, this other thing's going to happen. That's true. So, because when she fully realized what was happening, like she wakes up, when that little girl looks at her at the funeral, it wakes mm -hmm. her up out of the sex coma that she's been in. <laughs> makes her realize like, oh, wait, you know, and I think like in that moment, I think maybe she's like, wait a second, you know, I've, I'm a fucking follower. And like, it's like this moment of reckoning for her. She went along with JD because she wants JD to like her. And that's the most important thing is to be liked by a boy. 
that's where your worth is. Your worth is in what man you can get a hold of. You have to follow your own internal compass because as soon as you start following somebody's somebody else's and operating from the idea that like you need to act in a certain way so that other people will be pleased with you, that is only going to lead to you not being pleased with yourself. Yeah, that's a valuable lesson. And I feel like so many people spend their whole life waiting to learn that lesson, really. I mean, because this pressure never ends. It's like peer pressure in junior high. I guess it there's some in grade school, but I think it really intensifies in junior high and then mm-hmm. definitely intensifies in high school. <laughs> some people just never grow out of that. They are always in that like peer pressure mode and always doing what other people expect of them or what they think people want from them or what's socially acceptable. They never get the chance to like really just follow their heart and do what they want. So at least Veronica learned it early in high school. She had to go through a lot to get there, like murders and faking her own suicide. But she eventually got there and realized that you should just follow your heart and be friends with who you want. The road to enlightenment is paved with dead bodies. (laughs) Exactly. That's so terrible. Oh, my God. So there's a lot of repeating patterns in this movie too. And it's very similar to like how JD and his dad call each other. So JD calls his dad son and his dad calls JD dad. And his dad's like, oh, geez, dad. He kind of talks in this really sarcastic, like 1950s sitcom kid voice. That's like extremely creepy. (laughs) And and to me, it just made me think of like, like abuse patterns repeat themselves and JD becomes his father or almost becomes his father. But there's this weird moment at the end of the movie where, so JD becomes his father because he's going to blow up the school in the exact same way that his dad bl- likes to blow up buildings. But at the end of the movie, so JD could have blown up the school and he doesn't. He decides to listen to Veronica when she tells him, like, don't blow up the school. <laughs> and then she, like, shoots him in the hand. And yeah, she that sees, was you know, so funny. She blows his middle finger off. <laughs> yeah. She's pretty good with a gun for someone who's only shot a few times. Mm-hmm. She got that jock, like, dead center in his chest. Yeah, And then she right. accurately blew off only his middle finger of JD. Oh, yeah. Not that that matters, but yeah. <laughs> she's like, which button will undetonate the bomb? Is that a word? Diffuse the bomb? <laughs> I can't think of the word. Deactivate I like the bomb. <laughs> How do I turn this bomb off, basically? <laughs> and then he tells her, like, the red button, and they're all red. And then she's like, which one? Yeah, then it ends up, like, not going off. After she shoots him, he, like, stabs the knife into it or something, which pauses it. Mm-hmm. So he helps keep the school from being blown up, like you said. So she it's finally in- gets through to him, at least in that part. Well, and it's interesting because she's the the whole movie. We've seen her follow along, as we've discussed. And then now she's asserting herself. And now she's telling other people what to do. She's the new sheriff in town. And at the end of the movie, she's decided everything's corrupt. 
So now I need to take over the school. Like I'm the new Heather, but, but I'm going to be like the just Heather, good queen Heather, (laughs) good queen Heather, as opposed to the old evil Queens that we had in the past. Mm -hmm. And then he rides off into the sunset with Martha Dunstock. She should have jumped onto that little rascal motorized cart with Martha and driven off into the sunset. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. So after she basically saves the school and keeps it from being blown up, then JD still has um, dynamite strapped to himself. So he goes outside of the school. She thinks that she's killed him, right? Because she shot him down in the boiler room. But then he like... She's out on the front steps. The pep rally is still going on inside. Like no one even has any clue that all this drama has gone on and that they almost were blown up. And so she's out on the front steps and she looks like all disheveled because she's been fighting him off. And she thinks she killed him in the basement and saved the school. But then he emerges and is like, wow, you know, you really are powerful. I didn't realize I underestimated you. And he shows her that he still has like a bomb strapped to himself. Oh, but before, like when she was um, trying to save the school and she was just like, you know, why are you doing this? And he was just like, because nobody loves me, he says. And he gives that whole speech about like the school represents society and people from different uh, social classes can only truly get along in heaven. So that's why I want to kill everyone in this school so that they can all get along in heaven. And it's like, I'm not buying that from him. <laughs> Are you? Oh, it's totally sarcastic. <laughs> okay. I'm like, that doesn't sound right for him. Oh, well, of course, everything you say in a Jack Nicholson voice is going to sound sarcastic. <laughs> too, so I'm not That's true. Not really sure. <laughs> He's like a Jack Nicholson Jr. <laughs> So he gives that whole speech and it's like, I guess he's trying to justify everything that he's done and make it sound like he was doing it for like a noble cause and like a to make an impact on society. And then his plan is to like make a social commentary and make the school be remembered and make people really recognize what was going on there. But But I mean, really, I think he just wanted to kill people because he didn't like them. I think he saw that how easy it was to manipulate the media. Mm-hmm. And to weave a narrative that's going to sell, people are going to eat eat it up. That that a whole school signed a petition to blow themselves up, <laughs> which of course was gained through trickery, all the signatures. But the whole thing is manufactured, and it's like this other level of like commentary on how the media manipulates its audience and specifically the news media that was only getting worse and worse and changing more into narrative of events. So instead of a reporting of events that were taking place in the world, it turned into stories about events taking place in the world as told by through the eyes of these quote unquote journalists Mm -hmm. who are actually just all doing like emotion pieces to like instigate an emotion out of people instead of like just reporting the facts. And I feel like, you know, in the eighties, like that was getting like extremely popular with all the daytime TV and everything. So I feel like there was like a really strong commentary about that transition into this new type of media in this movie. 
Yeah, excellent. I think that is around the time when it was getting more towards like the 24-hour news cycle, which we hadn't had before just because Mm -hmm. with cable, then they just had more space to fill. And Mm -hmm. so they needed more like sensationalized stories. And so that kind of really goes along with this timeline. Everything you said fit into the storyline. None of it was genuine. Yeah. It was like a mind fuck. But at the end, so he did end up killing himself outside of the school. He blows himself up and Lydia, I mean, Veronica (laughs) is standing on the stairs watching and she has a cigarette in her mouth and she's ready to like light her cigarette from the explosion of his body. Just like after she burnt her hand with the cigarette lighter, after she realized they had actually killed the two jocks, then she like punishes herself by burning herself with a car cigarette lighter and he lights his cigarette off of the burn on her hand. So then she does the same thing when he blows himself up. These two, what a crazy (laughs) pair. These crazy kids. He grabs her hand and lights a cigarette off of it. I've always remembered the first time seeing that scene because I just instinctively laughed. And then I felt really bad because I was like, wait, this is super messed up. Like he doesn't, because that's like the first moment that you see that like, okay, yeah, sure. He's murdering people that are horrible and he tricks her. Okay. Yeah. But that's the first moment when you realize that like, he doesn't really care about her at all. There's absolutely no concern there. And it was very jarring, but then it was also like jarring because I laughed really hard because it's actually really funny looking. Also, I think it's impossible. (laughs) I mean, it's impossible. Let's just say it's impossible. It was a good, powerful moment, but yeah, that's not possible. But that also adds to like the magical realism quality that this movie has. Because in that moment, you totally accept that. Yeah, of course, he lit that cigarette off of her hand. (laughs) I feel like it's it is kind of a comical moment. It's hard to take it seriously because it's so like physically impossible, but also because I don't know if it's just me or I don't know, but I feel like Winona Ryder is actually not a good actress. I mean, I love her movies and I love to watch her, but sometimes I feel like her acting is so bad. Like I can't take her seriously. Like in that moment, I think she was supposed to be like expressing like genuine pain and sorrow and anger. And I just couldn't, I couldn't buy it from her. I've often found that she seems like she just kind of plays the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely know what you're saying there. But I like her movies. Like I'll watch her for sure. Yeah. She doesn't have a lot of range. Yeah. Exactly. She's great at, she nails like the angsty teenager for sure. But then she goes out of that. I think she struggles. That's another reason why I feel like it was hard for me to, really by that scene too and I found it comical as well I mean you know this movie was intended as a comedy right so I think that that scene was supposed to be funny okay it was just it was just that whenever I saw it and I laughed it was just like I still took a moment afterwards to be like wait a second like that wasn't actually like that would not actually be funny Mm-mm. yeah it actually makes me not no I guess it did its job It showed Mm -hmm. you, like you said, that he didn't actually care about her. So that was like a moment where it really is revealed. This is like the big question that I have. And what are your thoughts? I mean, so basically the whole thing is like, oh, she didn't know that she was going to kill Heather. It was an accident. And even he says like it was an accident. 
But he knows that it wasn't. No, he knew it wasn't. Well, yeah. I, I also think that he's done this at other schools. Yeah, they kind of allude to that. So, like, after they, quote unquote, accidentally kill Heather and he's like, we did a murder. That's a crime. But if it's a suicide, it's not. So let's write a suicide note. So she's forging Heather's suicide note and he's helping her compose it. And then she's like, that's really good. It's almost like you've done this before. And then there's just silence. And then you see a look on her face like, wait, maybe he has done this before. And it's like, yes, he has. And he just moves around. So I guess he never gets caught because he's just constantly moving. So they're suicides. So who's going to be like, oh, this kid moving around to these different schools or just there's all these suicides. Like parents don't really care about teenagers. Parents specifically care about their own teenagers, but they don't care about teenagers as a group. There's not like a social awareness of what teenagers really need. So the solutions they come up with are things like the new happiness, which Mm -hmm. is a photo op to make an adult look good. And that teacher who does the new happiness stuff, then she says like multiple times, like, Suicide is one of the most important choices a teenager can make. It doesn't just impact you. It impacts multiple people. And you only get one chance to do it right. <laughs> like, that's so terrible. <laughs> she's supposed to be, like, helping people and helping prevent suicide. But it's like she's just kind of waiting for the next one and, like, relishing the opportunity for her chance to be in the spotlight, to be, like, comforting and helping people. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. How she phrased that. Yeah. And then she even says it again, like, directly to Veronica. Uh, JD, I guess, had told other people. He told her parents that she was suicidal. And he told people at school that she was suicidal. So when she comes home, they're both, like, waiting for her on the couch. And they're like, your friend JD came by and he told us that you're suicidal and that we should watch out and not let you be in the garage with a closed door near pills, near sharp objects, all these like warning things. They're just going through the list together. Like it's a grocery list or something. And her parents are so calm about it. And then she, I don't remember what she says, but basically something dismissive. And then she just goes upstairs and lays down and that's the end of it. Like they don't talk to her about it anymore. They don't come check on her or like follow up. They're just like, well, we did our part. We let her know that we know that she's suicidal and we told her to stay away from these few items. So I guess we'll just do what happens from here. Well, and also, so this boy comes over that they don't know. Yeah. And says, hey, your daughter's suicidal. And they don't they don't go like, well, hmm, let's look at her behavior. They're just like, oh, well, somebody told us something. So it must be true. It's kind of like, have you ever gotten like some weird misguided um, talk from your parents? And then you realize like, in the it's like where is this coming from and then you realize like in the middle of their talk to you that it's because they watched like a special on it <laughs> on like Oprah and that now they think like you know they need to make sure I'm not doing it and it's like when clearly I wouldn't be <laughs> because they should know me but instead they're they're like going by what this like authority is saying like there's a lot of um there's a lot of question authority messages in this movie too which is another reason I probably really resonated with it I just this movie I was like finally (laughs) I feel understood 
<laughs> but the yeah. reason I felt like that a big a big part of it was because I really felt like I'm sure all teenagers feel this way, but I really felt like adults had no clue what was going on in the mm-hmm. world in this way of like, why aren't you teaching people to treat each other nice? Like, and also like as adults, like, why aren't you guys being nice to each other? Like everybody seems really immature and petty and still like stuck in their adolescence. And Mm -hmm. this movie does such a great job showing how oblivious parents can be. Veronica is talking to her mom. It's after she gives a speech to them about how like the adults are just like eating this whole thing up with a spoon and patronizing the kids and all of that. And then Lydia is basically saying like, we just want to be treated like humans, like adults. And why won't you guys treat us like that? And then her mom says like, usually when teenagers complain that they want to be treated like adults, it's because they are being treated like adults. And her mom's basically saying like the way that it is now and what you're experiencing, that's how it is going to be in the world. I think that's kind of what her mom is saying is Mm -hmm. that like all of the hierarchies and like bullshit that you deal with in high school just continues in a different format once you are an adult. So this is it. Just get used to it. Yeah. Because there's going to be like Heathers in your life forever, just in different forms. Because <laughs> some yeah. people never grow out of it. They just get, they get older, but they don't change. And like, instead of being the jock, they're going to be, you know, your manager or something that's going to be bullying you or. Or the president. Or the president. <laughs> 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 It's like if Ram became president, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Grabbing by the pussy is totally something Ram would say. Mm-hmm. All these movies, too, there's a lot of, like, parental absence, that seems like. But so we see Veronica's parents a lot, and her dad's hilarious. They're just basically kind of like cardboard cutout parents like you said they just have rote interactions and it's filled in with like a different little comment each time but it's basically the same thing they tell her to sit down take a break tell us what your day was like and eat some pate and then she has a snide interaction with her dad like calls him an idiot (laughs) but in a loving way yeah and then she's off Mm -hmm. but other people's parents, you don't even see. The only other parents that you see are the football player, Kurt, when his dad is at the funeral. And the other dad, JD's dad, who's like a narcissist a-hole. So we see like where he gets some of his tendencies from. And then we learn that his mom um, basically committed suicide by walking into one of the buildings his dad was going to detonate right before it was detonated, a library. And then she waves at JD from... The window. So he sees her get blown up, basically. That's we don't know mom. what age that happened, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming he was pretty young. And so we know some of his, like, history of trauma. Not that that excuses what he's doing, but. Well, it's interesting because his dad is the ultimate bully. Mm-hmm. His dad comes in, and one of the first things he says is, some damn tribe of withered old bitches doesn't <laughs> want us to terminate that flea bag hotel. That's your first impression. That's the first impression that he's deciding to give to JD's girlfriend, new girlfriend, Veronica. Yeah. Like, and he's like showing off. Like, that's his version of showing off and flexing his muscle to the teenage girl. JD 
kills bullies. So JD is mm-hmm. like a serial killer who is repeatedly killing his own father. Ew. And he's setting the murders up to mimic the suicide that his mother committed so that he can inflict the pain that he felt as a child when his own mother committed suicide so that he can inflict that pain onto other people that are the families of the people who he's murdering, who all think that their loved one committed suicide, which is a fucking horrible, horrible thing when a family or anyone you love commits suicide. Ugh, it's horrible. Yeah. So he's like repeatedly creating his own family dynamic. Wow. Of like trying to take control of his own family through killing his father not obviously not saving his mother, but inflicting that trauma on other people. That's amazing. That's such a great summary. Ooh. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You like wrapped up the whole movie. <laughs> it's true. That's really good. Oh, speaking of back to that question about the alien. Yeah. Okay, so it's funny because Heather, one, life gets blown up because she dies. Mm-hmm. So in probably like a two-day time frame. So oh, this yeah. alien, this kid from the other school, <gasps> rides into town. Oh, my God. Heather, one, is at the top of her game. She owns the school, and then he blows her up. I just thought it was funny because it was like she kind of predicted her own death in a weird way. It's true. (laughs) Because that night, I think, is when they're going to the party. And then the next day is when they kill her. So it is two days. Whoa. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're, like, exploding my head right now. You're bringing it all together. Well, I've seen this movie so many times, too. I have, like, a home team advantage. Um, I'm looking for this quote. Oh, I know. It's this one. Okay, so I've always remembered this quote. I guess so maybe it's my favorite. But it's when Heather One is there. Veronica and Heather One are getting ready to go to the college party. And... Heather one tells her, you blow it tonight, girl. And it's Tigers with kids all next year. Yeah. And it's like, that just struck me. Like when I, I don't know why the first time I watched this and I, I heard that her say, like, it was like the way she delivers that line because her voice has this like saccharine sweetness to it. There's so much threat behind it and aggression. You know, there's nothing fun about any of this to Heather. She's taking this very seriously. Yeah, no one seems to be ever having fun, actually, in this movie. It's like, um, that is definitely a strong line. And I think it's funny when you just said it. It's kind of like, you blow it tonight and it's keggers with kids. But it's like, if you don't blow it tonight, it's (laughs) keggers with kids all next year. Because if you don't give this guy a blowjob, you're not invited back. So it's kind of ironic. (laughs) That's an excellent point. (laughs) (laughs) 
But what you're saying, it's true. And like Veronica says that when she's talking to JD at one point, when he's just like, why are you even hanging out with these people? It doesn't even seem like you like them. And and then she says, it's like they're people I work with and our job is being popular and shit. And we've heard that in a few other movies. Yeah, it begs the question. Why? I know. Why? And what does it even mean being popular? Especially in this movie, it's like she's quote unquote popular, but no one actually likes her. So is that popular or is that just like feared? Like Veronica says, everyone in the school thinks you're a piranha. And she's like, I don't care. Everybody either wants to friend me or fuck me. But I don't think anyone does want to friend her because they don't like her. And when she comes to the table to like do that lunchtime poll, they're like, oh God, here comes Heather. We knew people that were popular. They're really nice. And they were kind to everybody. And that's why they were popular because they were well-liked. But mm-hmm. there's this other popularity, which isn't popularity at all. It's it's advanced bullying. <laughs> yeah. It's like bullying where people don't even really realize they're being bullied. <laughs> it's basically like if you're a really attractive bully, then you're popular. Yeah, that's a good way to... I if think, you're like yeah. attractive, well-dressed bully, then uh-huh. you're popular. And if you're like burnout looking ugly bully then you're just a bully it's kind of like that it's how it seems. yeah you're right she's not no. doing anything to be well like she's everything she does is to make sure that no one disagrees with her ever because she can't her ego's so fragile that she can't handle anyone to see her in any real way so she has to put up this illusion of being perfect Because then nobody can find a weak spot. And then the other side of that is that she has to find everybody's weak spots so she can attack Mm -hmm. first. But it's all rooted in her being afraid of her ego getting crushed. Oh, so it's kind of, it's almost like the suicide note that they were composing and Mm -hmm. the line that JD says about her is actually true. It could be because where he says, like, I die knowing that no one ever really knew the real me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is true because she could mm-hmm. never just be herself. She had to always put up this facade of perfection. So the end of the movie is like, Veronica's all charred. Charred. <laughs> and she's smoking a cigarette and she's charred from JD blowing himself up. And uh, she sees Martha and Martha is now in a wheelchair. A little rascal. Yeah, because she got she tried to commit suicide by walking out in front of the bus. So she's the only person that actually tried to commit suicide. Well, that's not true because Heather Three did too, but she was stopped by Veronica in yeah. time. So at the end, um, whenever Veronica sees Martha, she's like, What are you doing? And she just she basically just asks her to hang out, you know, like the night of prom or whatever. Yeah. And Martha says, and it's really the she says. She says, I like that. And it's like, every time I see this movie, whenever Martha says that, I fucking lose it. And I just start bawling. (laughs) The whole movie where everyone is horrible. Yeah. (laughs) And then, like, there's this genuine moment at the end of the movie where Martha's just, like, relieved. Finally, I feel like we're all Martha. (laughs) it's like finally a moment of kindness (laughs) so and then at the very end like when heather's or veronica's all charged she goes up to 
Shannon Doherty, Veronica, or Heather, mm. too, and takes the red scrunchie out of her hair and puts it in her own hair and says, like, there's a new sheriff in town. And then she goes and talks to Martha and starts things on the path to making it right. And then the hope is that she can, you know, spread that throughout the whole school because they're only juniors. And next year, they're seniors. And we know that seniors rule the school. And, like, the whole ultimate goal in life is to be a senior. So maybe she can change the culture. Yes. She's going to be like democracy in action. Let's just go with that and hope that that's yeah. what happened. The yeah. happy ending. I, I think so. She and Martha ride off into the sunset mm-hmm. on the little rascal. That's beautiful. I'd like that. <laughs> 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 okay. I don't know if there's anything else. I think we've talked about everything. A myriad of things. We have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in this movie, Veronica, basically, it seems like she's going along with a lot of these things that she knows are wrong just because she is in love with Christian Slater slash Jason Dean. And she wants to keep having sex with them, basically. So have you ever gone along with something that you knew was wrong just because you wanted to keep having sex with the person? If you have, let us know about it at CoverYourEyesPodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you have ideas for other movies we should cover in the future, we'd love to hear those too. Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. If you like our show, please feel free to count the ways. Find us on Patreon.com backslash Cover Your Eyes. You can also visit our store on Redbubble at Cover Your Eyes Podcast. And don't forget, we love it when you subscribe, rate, and review. Are we going to say see you next Tuesday still? So? <laughs> okay, we could say bye, y'all. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Corn nuts.